You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. chapter 4. We'll read verses 4 through 7 together. The Apostle writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Our Father, it is now time for us to focus upon your word, and we direct our hearts and our minds to that end. We pray that as we do, that your spirit would be our teacher, and that you would show us wonderful things within your word, and that you might be glorified here through it as we meet together around it. We ask this for your help, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Can we turn on this middle section of lights? Our sound guys falling down on the on the job there. Last couple of weeks we've been talking about the subject of worry and anxiety, and it would be appropriate that we would find so much written in Scripture about the subject of worry, because worry is something that is common to all of us. At least the temptation to worry is common to all of us, and worry is something that all of us have done. And we can understand why the Apostle Paul would write about worry to the Philippians since they lived in an environment where they were persecuted for their faith. And like you and I, they had things that they could worry about and probably did worry about. We know they were worrying because the Apostle Paul tells them in the present tense, stop your worrying. Do not be anxious for anything. Stop the anxiety over all the issues of your life and the things that you're worried about. And throughout the course of time, you could go back to any period of history any era of the church, any time in which man has been on this planet, and then there has always been something for which we could worry. Now, the circumstances over which we uh, worry have changed. The scenery has changed. The things that cause us to worry have changed. But the reality is that worrying has always been what it is, and mankind has always worried. A hundred years ago, people didn't worry about a nuclear holocaust, did they? But a hundred years ago, people worried about plagues and different diseases that we don't worry about today, do we? So the things that cause us anxiety may have changed, but the reality is that we still are anxious and can be anxious. And last, uh, two weeks ago now, we looked at the, the curse of worry, what anxiety is. We saw it for the sin that it is, for the folly that it is, for the, the useless activity that it is. Last week, we looked at the cure for worry, which is prayerful thanksgiving. And somebody asked me afterwards, a couple different people, asked me the question, last week you said that 
we should pray with thanksgiving about everything that causes us to worry. And it sounded as if I were saying we shouldn't pray about anything that doesn't worry us. We should only pray about those things that worry us. Is that what I was saying? Some people probably might have walked away thinking that. And it's good that a couple of people asked me that because a lot of times I communicate things that I don't tend to communicate and I don't communicate the things that I intend to communicate. And last week was probably one of those instances. Listen, Paul's point is not that we should limit our prayers to the things that worry us, but that we should not neglect to pray for the things that worry us. That's his point. Don't simply spend your exercise, your energy praying for things that don't concern you and then get up and invest all of your energy into worrying about things that you never pray for. That's what Paul is getting at. And he was trying to say to us, there is nothing that is so small that causes you worry. There is nothing so small that God doesn't want you to pray about. If it causes you anxiety, then it is something that the Lord wants you to take to Him. And no detail is too small. Nothing is too irrelevant. Nothing is too insignificant that you should neglect praying about it if it's something that causes you concern. Well, this week, having looked at the curse of anxiety and the cure for anxiety, today we're going to look at a promise that is attached to it, and that is in verse 7. And the peace of God will guard, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the promise. So here's the formula, and it really is this simple. Be anxious for nothing, that is, worry about nothing, but in everything pray, and here's God's promise, the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Don't do this. Instead, do this. And here's what is going to happen. So today we're looking at this promise that comes to us. Now, there's something that's absent in the paragraph that I just read to you. And all of the talk about with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God, and with, do this with thanksgiving, there's something that's not mentioned there, and its absence is significant, I think, because it helps us to sort of Focus in on what Paul's point is in the text. Do you notice what is missing? He says, too general. When you're talking about the subject of prayer, usually in Scripture we read, when we read about the subject of prayer, there is a promise or at least a hope that's attached to it. And when we read about the subject of prayer in Scripture, usually the hope or the promise that's attached to it has to do with the answers to our prayer. But do you notice that nowhere in Philippians chapter 4 does it say, does it promise us that God will answer the prayers? You notice that? It just says, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And Paul doesn't say, and God will answer your prayer, and in answering your prayer, He will change your circumstances, and in changing your circumstances, then you will be able to live a worry-free life. Paul doesn't say that. Paul doesn't suggest that God is going to answer our prayers. Now, does that mean that I don't believe that God answers our prayers when we pray about things that we worry about? No, I believe He does. I don't mean to suggest, and neither is Paul suggesting, that we shouldn't expect answers to prayer. I think we should. I think that prayer itself, by its very nature, is going before a sovereign God and saying, Lord, I know that you rule in the heavens, you do whatever you please. Here is what I think I need. Here is what I'm desiring. Here is what I'm asking you to do, or to give, or to provide, or to sustain. Here is what I'm, I want of you, and Lord, I'm asking you to grant it. And the whole nature of prayer is that of coming before God with the expectation that He's going to answer it. But what if the Lord decides not to answer? See, Paul's point is, he doesn't want us to think that we need to have the answer to our prayer in order to live a worry-free life. Because what if I go to the Lord with my circumstances and I say, Lord, I've got a terminal illness, and you know this, and this illness is going to take my life. 
and I'm worrying about this, and I'm worrying about my family, and I'm worrying about my future, and the future of my family, and my finances, and the church, and my friends, and everything that's dependent upon me. Lord, I'm asking You to change my circumstances. What if the Lord determines not to change your circumstances? Then what? Can you still live a worry-free life even if the Lord doesn't answer your prayers? That's the point. Now, whether the Lord answers it or not is up to Him. But don't think for a moment that God has to change your circumstances before you can be anxiety-free. So let's look at the promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, what is the peace of God? It's actually kind of a unique phrase. It's only used here in all of the New Testament, that phrase. There's a very close parallel in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, where Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you are also called in one body, and be thankful. Sort of a parallel text. And it has the idea not of... Well, there are different types of peace in the New Testament and in our Bible. There's peace that has to do with peace between warring factions. You have peace with your brother. Nations have peace between each other. There's that type of peace. Peace or the cessation of hostilities. But there's another type of peace. There is peace that we have with God. And we have that on the basis of the cross. Now we're no longer God's enemies. We're no longer under... His curse or under the wrath of God. We're no longer strangers and foreigners, but now we are friends and sons and we are brought near by the blood of Christ. We have peace with God. But this is not the peace with God. And this is not a peace that's from God. This is the peace of God. It's different from peace that comes from God. The peace that comes from God would be a peace that God would give to somebody that would be something other than what He has or is. That would be a peace from God. As if it were something exterior to God Himself that He would give to you. This is the peace of God. To put it another way, does God worry? See, this is the peace that God Himself lives in. This is the peace that characterizes the mind and the heart of God. Does He fret? Does He worry? Is He anxious? How can you say no to that with all of the things that He has to deal with? Do you understand that He has all of your concerns on His heart plus the concerns of the person sitting next to you and the one behind you and in front of you and the person in the other church and the person across the globe? He has all of that to worry about. A universe to hold together. An eternal plan to accomplish. Sinners to save. His Son to glorify. The church to protect. How can God not fret? How can God not worry? Would you say that God exists in a state of serenity and peace? Why does He exist in a state of serenity and peace? Because he knows that he has everything under control, right? And when you know that he has everything under control, then you can exist in the same state of serenity and peace. It's not peace with God that we have, that Paul's talking about. It's not a peace that comes from God. It is that serenity in which God himself lives. That thing that characterizes him. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's that peace of God. It's that peace that characterizes Him which acts as a sentry at my heart. That's the peace that Paul is talking about. It's not the cessation of hostilities that I have with God, but it is that character quality. If I can get into the mind of God and see that He doesn't fret, even on election day, He doesn't fret. Even when His children are being persecuted around the globe and thousands of Christians are dying under persecution, even today while we meet here, before your eyes go to sleep, hundreds of your brothers and sisters will die. And God does not worry about that whatsoever. And it's not because He lacks the ability to be anxious. It's not that He wants the ability to be anxious. It's not a character defect. 
It is just that that peace which characterizes him is the peace that is available to you when we worry about nothing and we pray about everything and we trust ourselves to him with thanksgiving and submit our hearts to his will. That peace becomes the characteristic of us. That peace becomes something that you and I can plug into. That peace is what characterizes your life. Now, you either have that peace or you don't have that peace. You either live in that state of existence or you don't live in that state of existence. But God does. Sometimes we think that before I can have that type of peace, that God has to change my circumstances or somehow alter where I'm at or what I'm going through or what's happening around me before I can enjoy that kind of peace. The challenge of the Christian life, and this is key, the challenge of the Christian life is not eliminating all unpleasant circumstances. We think it is. We're told that by popular authors and speakers and guys who have television ministries. That's what they tell us. Your best days are just ahead of you. Your best life is just ahead of you. The best thing you is just ahead of you. And the pro- your problem is that you're not believing enough good things about yourself. And if you just believed enough good things about yourself and got, out, got the fog out of your noggin, and started thinking rightly about God, and started thinking rightly about yourself, and you'd realize just how special you are. You'd realize just how central you are in the plan of God, and how good you are. And you would wear a permagrin on your face, and God would be pleased with you, and you would find alleviation from your financial difficulties, and alleviation from your bad job that you got, and you have a new house, and a new car, and all of that would happen. Your circumstances would change. God would deliver you, and then you would have a worry-free existence. That's not what Scripture teaches. It's not what Scripture teaches. The Bible doesn't say that your best days are ahead of you, not unless you're facing a terminal illness and you're about to die within the next few days. In that case, your best days are ahead of you. But the Bible does not promise you that your best days are just ahead of you. The Bible does not promise you that you can have your best life now. The Bible does not promise you that if you just think rightly about yourself, that your circumstances would change and you would lead a worry-free existence. The challenge of the Christian life is not eliminating my negative circumstances, my difficult problems, or eliminating unpleasant things in my life. The challenge of Christian living is to learn to trust a providential, sovereign, and good, and wise God who disposes of all things for the good of all of His creatures. That's the challenge. To trust God in the midst of difficult circumstances, not to change my circumstances. The promise of Scripture is that God gives us His peace. Isaiah 26.3 You will keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because He trusts in you. That's the promise. Psalm 29, verse 11 says, The Lord gives to His people peace. That's the promise to the Christian. Not to the unbeliever. Do you know what God promises to the unbeliever? No type of peace whatsoever. Now you may say, but I know unbelievers who have peace. Look at Bill Gates. Do you think he has a financial worry in the world? You ever bought a piece of his software? If you paid top dollar for his software, and you know he has financial worries. Why do you think you're paying so much for his product? So he's, got to pay, he's got to pay thousands of people to protect his assets. That's why. If you could get inside the mind of Bill Gates or Warren Buffett and see the anxiety and the stress and the difficulty and the paranoia with which men like that live, you know what you would do? You'd crawl under a desk somewhere and start whimpering. You wouldn't want that for anything. Why? Because with much money comes the anxiety of trying to keep much money. You say, well, if I could just get out from under this illness, then I could have peace. You know how many healthy people don't live with peace? You know how many people who are well off don't have peace? The Bible says that God gives to His people perfect peace. There is no peace for the wicked, says the Lord. 
Isaiah 48:22. You might look at the outward manifestation of all that some unbeliever has and say, oh, if I could only have everything that they have, then I could have peace. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Unbelievers don't have peace. It's not available to them. They might be able to deny their worries. They might be able to live a few days without an ulcer or live a few days without any kind of anxiety. But friends, the promise of God is that He gives peace to His people. That's why at the end of the verse it says it's in Christ Jesus. And it is a peace. And what kind of a peace is it? Paul says it is a peace which surpasses. That's hooper echo is the word. Kind of a neat word. It means to go beyond and above and way out there. It goes way beyond what? Thought or comprehension or reasoning is the word. It surpasses all understanding. Now there's two different ways we could take that. And I think that, and this is true, the Greek or the wording that Paul uses could go either one of two ways. It could be understood in either of these ways. The first way is this. That Paul is saying that this peace that comes from God in which God lives that's available to us is something that is beyond human ability to understand or comprehend. It is simply so supernatural that if you were to look at it, you cannot explain it in human terms. How do you explain the peace of men and women who have suffered and died for the faith for the last 2,000 years and they have faced the lions and they have faced the flames and they have faced drought and they have faced disaster and death and dismemberment and every form of torture and death known to man. They have faced all of that without a lick of fear or anxiety whatsoever. How do you explain that? Open up your psychology textbook and tell me how that's possible. It's not possible. It's supernatural. And it is a peace that surpasses understanding. How did George Mueller feed hundreds of orphans who were all dependent upon him and he had all of their concerns and all of their daily needs and all of their food needs on his mind and on his heart? How did he do that without sometimes any food in the cupboard or any food in the house whatsoever? And he just prayed to the Lord and without a worry or without a care. How do you explain that type of peace? Can you explain that? It surpasses understanding. It goes beyond the human ability. You can't quantify it or qualify it or describe it or, or examine it or research it or plumb it or probe it or anything. It's simply beyond the ability to explain. And if somebody, if you have that kind of peace and somebody walks up to you and says, I don't understand how you can have the kind of peace that you have, you can only say, you know what, I don't understand how I have it either. And I really don't understand where it is or what it is or why it is the way that it is, but it is, and I can't explain it to you. It's beyond understanding. That's it. The irony of it is I'm trying to describe to you a piece that it cannot be described. So I'll stop and move on to the second possible way that we can understand that. The first way is to see that Paul, to, to think that Paul is probably saying it just goes beyond the ability of human beings to understand this type of piece. It is otherworldly. It's of another realm. It's supernatural. The second possible understanding of that, or explanation for that, is that Paul, when he talks about the understanding, he is referring to the thought processes, human reasoning, and imagination. And that which goes on in our brain. And that the Apostle Paul is saying, this peace of God does more for your circumstance than does all of your anxious worrying that goes on in your mind. It surpasses that. You see, friends, it is in our minds that we think up all of the imaginary scenarios that cause us to be anxious. It's in our mind that we lay in bed at night and we mull over everything we're going through, everything we think we might face or that we think we could face, everything that causes us anxiety. And from a human perspective, we try and reason it through and we try and rationalize a way through this and find an escape route. We try and get out from underneath of that. And Paul is simply saying, this peace of God, it surpasses and goes beyond that. 
There is no human ability in your mind to work through what causes you to worry. So the only thing you can do is entrust it to the Lord and that peace of God, which is better than all of your worrying and all of your anxiety and all of your thinking, will guard your hearts and your minds. could be either one of those. I think it's likely the first. I think what Paul is doing is he's describing a peace that simply is beyond the ability of human beings to describe or to understand. Now, the reality is, you either have that peace or you don't. You either have that peace or you don't. You either spend your days worrying, anxious, or that peace that characterizes God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Guard is kind of an interesting word. It's a military term. I love how Paul uses military terms all over his writings. This one means to stand guard, to protect, or to preserve something. It's a term that would have been very familiar to the Philippians because as a Roman colony, they had a, a lost the word, a group of soldiers stationed in the city of Philippi to protect Rome's interests and to protect Rome, Roman citizens and Rome's interests in that part of the empire. So the Apostle Paul uses a, a word that the minute they would have read that, the Philippians would have thought of, oh yeah, soldiers who stand guard over something to protect the interests of the one that sent the soldiers. And that's the very vivid term that Paul uses. The peace of God guards, stands as a sentry, as it were, over our hearts and over our minds to protect them and to preserve them for Himself. And what does the peace of God guard? Your heart and your mind. You know what's significant about your heart? I'm not talking about your blood pumping muscle. You all know why that's significant. Do you know what is significant about your heart and the way the Scripture uses that term? That is the center of your whole life. Name for me one issue that does not come out of your heart. Name for me one. Every evil word that a man utters comes from what? His heart. Why? Because my heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Above all things. Everything, every decision that I make comes out of my heart. What do I desire in my heart? What is the position of my heart? What are the priorities of my heart? Where is my heart? Who has my heart? Who is reigning in my heart? Who has control of the innermost center part of my being? That's what the heart is. And so the peace of God guards my heart. That's why Scripture says you, you protect your heart for out of it flows, guard your heart for out of it flows all of the issues of life. Everything you have ever dealt with, everything you have ever thought, everything you have ever done, every sin you have ever committed goes back to your heart. The condition of your heart and where your heart is at. So I need something to guard my heart, don't I? Because if my heart is not guarded and my heart is not watched over, then what's going to happen with my anxiety? It's going to run away on me. But I have to bring my heart into a certain position and I have to do something with my heart or something has to be done to my heart, I should say. Something has to be done to my heart that changes it or guards it so that I will not be lost in anxiety. The peace of God guards your heart. The heart is the center of your feelings. It's the center of your emotions. It's the center of your, your thinking. It is the center of your will. So I need something to guard my heart. And also something to guard my mind. Something to guard my mind. I'm amazed at how often in the New Testament, I should say this, I'm amazed at how often, even just in the book of Philippians, that the Apostle Paul addresses the subject of our thinking and our mind. Over and over and over again, he talks about how we think and what we think. You're going to see it in that familiar verse that's next, verse 8. Whatever is pure, lovely, just, honorable, respectable, all those things. 
Think on these things. And he addresses the subject of the heart and the mind again down in verse 9. Why? Because the heart is like the mind or the mind is like the heart in that it is connected to the innermost part of my being. In my mind, I need somebody to guard my mind. Why? Because in my mind is where I worry. You guys get that? It is my mind that causes me anxiety. It's not actually the things that I endure. It's the things that I endure in my mind. I worry about things that have never happened. And I experience things that have never happened. Where? In my mind. I need something to guard my mind. To make my mind think the way that it should think. And to respond the way that it should respond. And if I don't have that, then I'm going to get run away with anxiety. It's going to overtake me. Why? Because I need something to guard that which is desperately wicked, my heart. And I need something to change that which is darkened in its understanding, and that is my mind. I need to bring my mind in subjection, just like I need to bring my heart into subjection to the will and the purpose and the person of God so that I'm thinking the right things. Anxiety does its work in the heart, and it affects our feelings. When we worry, we begin to think that things are not true of God that are true of God, and we begin to think things are true of God that are not true of God. When I... When I worry, I am taking all of my emotions, which come out of the heart, and I am living through all of my emotions, things that have never happened, things that probably will never happen. They could happen, sure they could, but they probably won't, and they likely won't, and I'm living them and feeling all of the emotional drain of it. I find myself doing this because I shared with you, worry is an easy thing for me. And I found myself, I caught myself doing this. Lying in bed at night, unable to sleep, so you start thinking about a scenario, right? What if such and such were to happen? This were to happen to my child or to my wife or to my friend or to somebody I know. And then you think it through and you go, and before long, you realize your stomach is in knots. You need to go downstairs and eat something, to take some Pepto-Bismol or something to settle down your stomach because all of a sudden you have felt all of the emotions of that experience and you have gone through all of those emotions in your mind and your heart is restless and your blood pressure is up and your thoughts are raging. And has any of it actually happened? How much of it has actually happened? All of it has happened where? In your mind. And your heart has gone through all of the emotional anxiety connected with something that has never happened. How taxing is that? How foolish is that? I know you do it. I know you do. Because I do it. I found myself doing it. Then I gotta calm myself down, take ten deep breaths, and just say, Jim, this hasn't even happened. This might not ever happen. This is likely never going to happen. So why be anxious about it? But all of that happens in the heart and in the mind. In order to worry, I actually have to convince myself in my mind that something is true of God that's not. I have to start believing that God's not in control, that He's not loving, that He's not good, that He's not wise, that He's not powerful, that He can't change things. They can't direct the affairs of men. He doesn't care for me and that he's somehow going to dispose of me or other people or circumstances in a way that is not for his glory and is not for my good. I have to convince myself of all of that. All of that happens in the mind. I have to tell myself that lie and then I have to believe it. But if I believe the truth and I'm convinced of the truth, then there's nothing to worry about. And I don't worry. It happens in the heart and it happens in the mind. And the promise is that peace which characterizes God will stand guard over your hearts and your minds where? In Christ Jesus. This is only available for believers. 
you're sitting here this morning and you're not a believer, you have no access to this peace whatsoever. You have to be in Christ. And the only way you can be in Christ is if you repent of your sin and trust Christ for salvation. And if you won't do that and you haven't done that, then you have no access to this peace. Good luck. Do the best that you can to stop worrying. You won't be able to do it. You might be able to control it. You might be able to manage it, but you won't be able to cease it. And good luck in trusting someone or something to manage your affairs for you and to control worry on your behalf and to guard your hearts and your minds. It's not going to happen. This promise is only available to believers. You know what God has promised to unbelievers? Your best days are right now. It's all you got. Either they're filled with anxiety and worry now. Wait till you die. Then there's no hope whatsoever of ever being alleviated from that anxiety and that worry and that distress and that destruction. It is in Christ Jesus that our worries and our anxiety, that we can live an anxiety-free life. That peace of God which surpasses all understanding will only guard our hearts and minds in Christ. Now, verse 8. He said, Jim, I hope we're all done talking about worry. Almost. Verse 8 has to do with it, but we're going to focus more on this next week. It has to do with what we think. And this is why Paul says, these are the things that you should think on. So if you find yourself caught in worry, then there's, there's a great promise. You stop worrying, which as a Christian you have the ability to do. You start praying, and God's peace will guard your hearts and your minds. But you can't just do that and then say, okay, God, it's all up to you. There's something you have to do. It's in verse 8. You have to control how you think. We'll get to that next week. You have to control how you think. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are grateful for Your Word, for all that it teaches us, and for the fact that You have given us a promise to relieve us of anxiety and to guard our hearts and our minds. Our hearts are desperately wicked. We know that. We know that our minds have been darkened by the fall. We thank You that we have a new heart and a new mind in Christ. And we pray now, God, that You would do Your job of guarding that in Christ Jesus and give us that peace which surpasses understanding. We know, Father, that if we worry, it is because we choose to worry. It is not because we have no ability to control that. It is not because we have, that we have to do this. But like any sin, if we fall into it, it is by our choice. And we can only live under its tyranny if we choose to. And so we pray, God, that You give us the grace to control our minds, to direct our thoughts and the desires of our hearts, and that You would guard them in Christ Jesus for Your glory and for our good, we ask it in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.